Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Well, Matthew 12, beginning at verse 22, and reading through 32. There was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you, or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. May the Lord add his blessing to this portion of his word. Let us pray. We come into your house, our Father, this evening as your children to worship and praise your name. We lift you up this evening before all men, praying that you might therefore be able to draw this entire world unto you. May the witness and the testimony of this church, the other churches of this community, proclaim the gospel of Christ in such a manner that there will be no doubt in the hearts and lives of all peoples that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord that he is master, and that he is our savior. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. To set the stage for tonight, I'm going to want to go back to the Old Testament and read several individual passages. If you can keep up with me, I invite you to do so. Psalm 85 is the first one. I'll not wait because it would take really too long to, uh, to wait until everyone found the verse. But even if you don't find it, uh, uh, you'll, you'll be able to, to understand it, I'm sure. We're starting in Psalm 85. 
And then I think it'll be a little easier once you get back to that point to go with me. Verse 5 of Psalm 85. We're looking for a general trend, a general theme throughout all of these verses that we're going to read now, dealing with God. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Psalm 103. Verse 3. You'll recognize these are all fragments of a larger theme, but we will restrict ourselves to the fragments. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Go back to Exodus, the second book of the Bible, chapter 34. Verses 6 and 7. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generations. All right, Micah. The book after Jonah. Go to the end of the New Testament and leaf back a few pages to find Micah. It's difficult. Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now, if you can say those backwards, you can get back to Micah real easy. I can't go backwards all. Micah chapter 7, verses 14 through 19. Feed thy people with thy rod. The flock of thine heritage, which dwell solitarily in the wood, in the midst of Carmel, let them feed in Basham and Gilgal in the days of old. And I am not reading what I want. Okay, I just started too quick. Let me, let me stop. Go over to verse 18. I couldn't read my writing. I thought it said 14. It says 18. That wasn't making any sense. The last verses, two, uh, 18 and 19. Who is God unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins in the depth of the sea. All right, that's all the Old Testament. I hope you have noted that we started out with a question in Psalms 85.5, which basically asks, is God a forgiving God? And then we went from that question to several different verses 
And every one of them built upon the theme that God is a forgiving God. Every one of them. To this last one here in Micah, that he will take the iniquities and subdue them. He will cast our sins in the depths of the sea. That has to be forgiveness. Now, if you could conceive in your mind the worst possible scenario of sin, the worst thing that person could possibly do and call it sin, and I would ask each of you to come up with that statement. We'd have a lot of different statements, I'm sure. And no doubt someone would say the worst possible sin a person commit, could commit is murder. I'm sure that would be in the list. And on and on the list would go of the things that in our mind we would conceive to be the worst possible thing that a person could do. Someone, no doubt, would say the worst possible sin was committed 1980 plus years ago on the little hill outside Jerusalem when the Jews killed Jesus. That's the worst possible thing that a person could ever do would be to crucify the Son of God. And maybe that's true. But all of those that we have listed, from murder to the crucifixion of Christ and all the other things in between that each of us have thought about, are forgivable. Every one of them. God will forgive. As a matter of fact, Jesus on the cross of Calvary prayed that God would forgive those who crucified him. It had to be forgivable, or else the Lord himself would not have prayed for the forgiveness of those who had committed that sin. The disciples on one occasion asked Jesus how many times they ought to forgive their neighbor who had done them wrong, and they said, should we forgive seven times? Seven times is conceived throughout the scripture as a perfect uh, terminology. So anything that is done seven times is thought to be perfect or complete. So the disciples thought, if I forgive the person who has wronged me seven times, then that's sufficient. I don't have to forgive any longer. And Jesus' answer was very shocking to them when he said, I say to you until 70 times seven now, if you multiply that out, you get 490. Now, the point is, no one is going to keep a record of the number of times he has forgiven someone until he has reached the magical number of 490 and say, okay, when you hit 491, brother, I'm not forgiving you any longer. The whole point that Jesus was making is there shall be no end to what one is expected to forgive his neighbor or his enemy. No end. 
if the Lord expects us to never be ending in our forgiveness of each other, he's going to have to practice the same thing. So where is there a sin that we can come up with that the Lord is going to say, Ha ha, that one I won't forgive you for. Well, maybe there's a volume of sin if he won't forgive one. Maybe there's a volume. Suppose I sinned so long, so, so many years, and the Lord will say, I'm sorry, but you have reached the point at which I can no longer forgive you even though you asked for it. Is there a volume of sin that a person can commit and then he can't go beyond that for the Lord will not forgive him? We don't find anything like that in the scripture. There is no indication of the amount of sin that a person can commit and not be forgiven. Now if we would take the same attitude toward our enemies and our families and if nations would take that attitude with nations we would discover that we would be living in a state of peace. But it's because we have the limit to which we will go and will not step over that limit for anybody that gets, our, uh, gets us and our nation into trouble. But in God's mind, there is no limit and there is no particular sin that we at least to this point have listed. Suppose you are an idolater, you worship idols, will God forgive? Or murder, or gluttony, or fornication, or adultery, or cheating, or lying, or maybe homosexuality, blasphemy, drunkenness, extortion, brothers... There's some of those that I would have trouble forgiving. If committed against me. And there are many of those that even people within the church harbor within their hearts and minds and refuse to forgive because they have a threshold of forgiveness. But there is no threshold recorded in the scripture for God for he is a forgiving God. Now may we further say, before we uh, make any kind of error in our judgment, is that God will not forgive even the most minor sin without a request that he forgive it. Amen. We must ask for forgiveness. So, he expects us to repent of even the minor things that we do and upon those minor things he will forgive but he also will extend his forgiveness to the extreme of our sinfulness to the extreme now let's go to the scripture I'm going to have to turn to it because I'm already in the back of the Old Testament Matthew Chapter 12. Let's look at the look at the story that we have. <clears throat> I have to get my glasses changed. I can't see the difference between Matthew and Luke. 
All right, Matthew 12. There was a man brought to him. The scripture says it had a devil. He was possessed. He was also blind and he also could not speak. And the Lord healed him. He was mentally ill. I tell you that I am becoming more and more convinced every day, I think, that most mental illness is demon possession. I did not say all. I'm not sure I want to say the word all yet. Because I'm sure there are some other things that, that happen that, that cause mental problems that we would not attribute to demon possession. I'm also convinced that there are lots of people who do not have mental problems who are demon possessed as well. Now we tend to put this type of thing out of our mind and not recognize demon possession for what it is. But all through the New Testament we find the Lord recognizing demon possession and calling it for what it is. And not hiding it under the carpet and calling it mental illness or calling it uh, uh, all other kinds of names that, that might be appropriate in some cases. There are people who are demon possessed. As a matter of fact, every person who is not possessed by the Holy Spirit is demon-possessed. In order to become Holy Spirit-possessed, there must be a healing of the soul of the demon-possession. So the man is demon-possessed. He's more than mentally ill. He can't speak. He is, he is dumb. He is blind. And the Lord heals him and we find that he can now both speak and see and was rational and the people were amazed. And they began to wonder, how is it possible? Is not this simply the son of David that was putting him in the genealogy going back to David is he not just an ordinary man they could have asked as it were as it was asked in other places can any good thing come out of Nazareth is there any possibility that this little boy of a carpenter who grew up uh, there at his father's feet learning the carpenter trade could possibly do what we just saw unless he himself is possessed of the devil Now you can be assured that the devil performs his miracles in this world as much as the Lord performs his. And we see it happening and oftentimes don't recognize it. Whatever the problem might be, this man had a severe problem. 
But the Lord Jesus was powerful enough to overcome it all and set the man straight. People are not on the road to heaven because they can't be. It's because they don't want to be. They do not want to yield to the healing hand of Jesus Christ to set their lives straight. And here he was available. And they were all amazed. Is not this the son of David? They couldn't believe it. Verse 24. The Pharisees heard it. They said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub. Well, now, Beelzebub, and sometimes it's Beelzebul, B-U-L, you'll find it both ways in history, was the Canaanite god. And the name had been taken to refer to Satan himself. And in this case, that's exactly what is the reference is, that this fellow who did the healing, they are saying, is casting out devils in the name of the devil. Casting out demons in the name of Satan. And Jesus knew what they were saying, and he makes an astounding statement. goes on for more verses than we read. He asked, first of all, if this were true, would Satan be casting out Satan? It's like the blind leading the blind. A blind person saying to another blind person, here, let me help you across the street. A person who does not know leading someone who does not know. A person teaching when he has no knowledge himself of the subject that he is teaching. It certainly would not be productive. And no demon is going to cast out himself or his fellows out of somebody. That would be counterproductive. He is saying that Satan... Divided cannot stand, and certainly we know, and other places we are taught, that any house divided cannot stand. Satan is not going to divide his forces. He's going to unite his forces against Christ and the church. Satan is not going to cast himself out, else he would be destroying himself. Now, Satan will not divide himself, but listen, Satan will divide the church. He will do everything he possibly can to get people within the church to to be divided. Satan loves cults. I can tell you that Satan supports the Hare Krishna community in Moundsville with all his efforts. Because it is taking people away from Jesus Christ. Satan supports some Baptist churches. And Methodist and Presbyterian and Catholic and go on and on. Because they are divided against themselves 
and their lack of sound doctrine and strong teaching and good spirit is destroying and casting people away from the church and people are refusing to listen to the gospel because those who are preaching it appear to be like Satan himself in their minds. You can believe that there are Satan worshipers in the pulpits of our churches. There's only one thing that makes me feel better about that statement is there are more of them in the pew than there are in the the pulpit. (laughs) That's only because there's not as many in the pulpit. People who reject Jesus Christ do not reject him because there's no evidence. These people who stood before Christ this day and saw the the man healed did not reject Jesus as Savior because they saw no evidence. They rejected him because of the hardness of their heart. I know as I've preached in this church over the past year or so, there have been people sitting here who with their mind knew what I was saying was exactly true, but with their heart they would not accept it. You'll run into those as well. There are lots of people who are converted with their mind, but are never converted with their heart. There are lots of mental Christians who lack the Spirit of God in their heart. And that's what these people were who could see the evidence and knew that it could not possibly have happened because of Satan. It had to happen because of Christ but would not accept it. The reason is men really do not want to know the truth. Nobody wants to know the truth if it's going to convict them. They want to find something that will justify their own wickedness. Now you go on down the street, wherever you want to go, and you'll find many churches who are simply saying what people want to hear. I will never forget in my experience when I was in college of going to the First Baptist Church in Philippine and the pastor of that church at that time after every sermon said if I have said anything that has upset anybody or disturbed anyone I'm sorry. And I thought here I am training for the ministry there's something wrong with that statement. I know what's wrong with that statement. Today, I think I know what's wrong with that statement. That congregation did not want to hear the truth. And they had browbeaten to him to the point that he was unable to preach the truth. And we have a combination of 
a weak-kneed preacher and a fickle congregation who want to hear nothing but good things about the way they live. And that's exactly what these people were wanting to say is we live for Satan and we're going to have to find something out here that makes it possible for us to live this way. All right, we're going to have to hurry on or I'm not going to get to my point. Verse 31. He says, Therefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy, notice the two words, sin and blasphemy, shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. What did he say? All manner of sin. All kinds of immorality, all ungodly acts, all immoral thoughts, all deeds of wickedness of every nature will be forgiven if man wants forgiveness for them. He says blasphemy will be forgiven. If there is anything that is done that nearly turns my blood cold in this world today is hear the name of God and of Jesus Christ his son drugged through the mud not just by the people on the street who do not claim Jesus as Savior but by the people of the church who have claimed him as Lord blaspheming his name a conscious denouncing and the rejection of God by the, by the voice He says that can be forgiven. Except the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Well, what is that? Well, let's read verse 32 before we answer. Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, who is the Son of Man? Jesus Christ. And he uses the term Son of Man to identify himself with man. Whoever speaks against the Son of Man... It shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaks against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world and neither in the world to come. Jesus prayed that people would be forgiven for what they had done to him. He never prayed that God would forgive a person who blasphemes the Holy Ghost. Now what's he talking about? What's the purpose of the Holy Ghost in this whole scheme of things? The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to convict people of their sin. It is not Jesus Christ that convicts a person of his sin. Jesus Christ was a sacrifice for sin. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts a person of sin. God sends the third person of the Holy Spirit, third person of Trinity. And if a person is saved, it's because the Holy Spirit has finally gotten through to them. That's all. It is not God the Father. It's not God the Son. It's God the Holy Spirit that convicts a person of sin. And if a person says to the Holy Spirit, No, I will not receive your testimony. 
No, I will not accept the Son of God as my Savior. That will never be forgiven. Never. That's the only thing. Refusal to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is the blasphemy of the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And that's all. If man turns his back on God, there is not a thing in this world that God can or will do about it. Hear it. When man says no to the Holy Spirit, there is not a power in heaven or on earth that can turn him around against his will. None. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to plead with man and bring him to a point when he will understand his lost condition and his need for salvation. And when man says no, he has blasphemed the message that the Holy Spirit brought. And that will not be forgiven. Everything else can be. Not now, he says, verse 32, neither in this world and neither in the world to come. There is no forgiveness of one thing. Refusing to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Everything else can be forgiven. But you've got to ask. You've got to ask. I'm quite sure all of us are Christians tonight. If there's any doubts about that. So our invitation is not going to be designed to speak to a person who might be lost. But our invitation this evening will be designed to ask each of us to consider our lives in relationship to the Lord. How do we stack up this evening? How is our relationship? What sins in our lives are there that need forgiveness? We can have forgiveness simply by asking. What problem do we have? We can have it resolved by placing it in the hands of the Lord. We don't have to carry our problems around. We can give them to Him. He'll carry them. What's your need in relationship to your Savior? None of us, I'm sure, will ever commit the unpardonable sin. But we will commit the pardonable sins. Tonight is an opportunity for us to have those forgiven, put them behind us, and set our feet on, again upon a path that will lead us to, to the throne of God, who will be called His dear children. Shall we pray? 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.